0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: On this beautiful Wednesday morning, we welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Coming up in today's episode, our minds are blown by the PGA's merger with the Live golf tour, the PGA is in bed with the Saudis after absolutely ripping, ostracizing, banning its former players that Took the money from the Saudis to leave the PGA Tour and join Live. We're going to get into what uh, some of the industry commentators are saying, what people who follow golf are saying about this and try to wrap our minds around that story. Imagine you're Tiger Woods who said no to an $800 million offer to join Live. Imagine you're one of these players like Rory McIlroy who went to the wall defending the PGA only to find out yesterday, blindsided by a tweet that the PGA was doing business with Live, amalgamating the two tours. Absolutely mind-blowing stuff. We're also going to take you out to the mountains today. My Jasper Memories presented by Tourism Jasper. We're going to talk about a very cool, we're going to take you up onto the, the glacier, the Athabasca Glacier, and talk about a very cool way uh, to explore it. But we're going to lead off today with a story. This is kind of like not the aftermath, uh, but as the dust is settling on the Alberta election, two writings in particular under great focus. A lot of people were paying attention to the writings in Calgary Glenmore and Calgary Acadia. Now, these uh, had mandatory recounts triggered because the results were so close you may remember in Calgary Acadia Alberta's former uh, health minister former justice minister Tyler Shandro it appeared as though he had lost his riding lost his seat by seven votes well the recount uh, showed that it was actually a little bit more than that it was 25 votes but still you're talking about 25 votes out of thousands and thousands in Calgary Glenmore same deal the united conservative incumbent there Whitney Issick losing her seat by 42 votes you know this is like this is like one group of families these are like the parents of One hockey team. I mean, this doesn't take much, 42 votes, but it just goes to show how important it is to get out the vote, how important it is to campaign, how important it is to make sure that everybody that you're connecting with intends to give you their vote. We're going to be talking to the campaign manager for both of those ridings. We're going to talk to the NDP's campaign manager. She was overseeing Calgary Glenmore and Calgary Acadia. How did they do it? That's coming up in just a second with Esmahan Razavi. First, though, if you're thinking of a career in real estate, I want you to take one quick second today to check out relo.ca. That's R E L O.ca. Why? Well, because better real estate training starts right there. If you're one of the thousands of Albertans thinking of a career in real estate, you're gonna to wanna to visit Rello.ca. They offer better real estate training, professional expert webinars entertaining podcasts, and excellent customer service. Rello's content is targeted so that you can meet exam criteria in the quickest amount of time. You can get your career started right now. They'll help you learn anytime, anyplace at your own pace, which is a huge bonus, of course. There's no better time to start your real estate career, and there is absolutely no better place to do it than Rello.ca. Esmahan Razavi was the campaign manager for NDP candidates, now MLA's elect, Nagwan Alganeed and Diana Batten. Uh, Esmahan's been previously involved in federal, provincial, and municipal campaigns, and she joins us now live from Calgary. First of all, congratulations. These uh, were, uh, I mean, two of the closest ridings—not not just in this election, but probably in Alberta's electoral history. Once you're talking about a couple of dozen votes, It doesn't get any closer than that. How are you feeling now that those recounts are complete?
2: Relieved, Uh, and I've had slightly more sleep, so I'm feeling a little rested. Um, But it was, you know, a bit of an emotional roller coaster for us. Um, It was so tight on Monday night, and uh, we didn't really find out that we'd won uh, at least the unofficial the unofficial count uh, until like one a.m. on uh, Monday night, and then. and then we had to go into a recount, and that was really nerve-wracking. Uh, and we were really excited that we came out uh, to have won again. It's almost like you won twice in each riding. So yeah, nice. and
1: no kidding. I mean, this was this was kind of late Monday night that the that the news uh, started to you know started to spread, and, and people started to you know I, I think feel a little bit more comfortable that the NDP had made those inroads in those ridings. What was your internal polling? I think most people know that there are polls that happen. Um, you know, they're either commissioned by by PACs or they might be commissioned by uh, media outlets but obviously parties are doing their own polling uh, through the course of a campaign as well what were your numbers telling you about these two ridings in particular
2: well on the local campaign we actually didn't do internal polling we were just looking at our data Mm. Um, and I believed that our data said that we were in a really really tight race Um, And I told everyone and it kind of started sounding like a line, but I really meant it, that we were cautiously optimistic um, because we knew that we had put in so much work on the ground and that, you know, we were approaching these ridings in a way that was true to the individual ridings, both Glenmore and Acadia. Like, you know, there are four quadrants in Calgary. Each quadrant has its own character and each riding has its own character, too. Um, We had exceptional candidates and an exceptional team, so I kind of thought that, you know, all things considered, those things were going to put us over the edge. I wasn't sure how tight it was going to be, (laughs) but um, we did it in the end, so...
1: I want to. I want to ask you. And, and it, is it unusual for someone to to manage uh, two different ridings, manage campaigns in two different ridings? I mean, it's obviously different candidates, different dynamics, different socioeconomic factors at play, different voting histories at play. Uh, is that something that's kind of common for someone like you, or is this quite unusual as an assignment?
2: Uh, it's the first time I'd ever done it, so I was, um, you know, I was a little apprehensive because. These were the writings that were the most talked about. Um, as you know, uh, in the media, these were the writings that people were saying needed to flip in order to make government. Um, but I was also really excited because um, like I said, we had two exceptional candidates. I was really excited that they were both women um, because in particular, I have you know, started my career in politics supporting women candidates. Um, and I was excited to, to support them both. Uh, Najwan Aljanaid is actually a good friend. Um, so I was really excited to help her get elected. And then um, I had a really young, uh, diverse team as well. And I think it's like one of the cool things about politics is the people that you meet along the way and the relationships you build, and the way that you see that they're people who care about their future and the world around them and spend so much time, free time, um, you know, their days after school or their, you know, summers uh, after university, just like trying to get involved and do something different. Um, And I think both campaigns. Um, really created a vibe that people wanted to be a part of them for different reasons. Um, and so it was just great to see so many people come together and try to try to push these ridings over the edge.
1: We'll talk about Nashwan in just a second. I want to talk to you about Diana Batten. Uh, this was, I mean, Tyler Chandra, easily one of the highest profile ministers in Jason Kenny's cabinet, like Easily uh, two of the highest profile portfolios, um, you know, I mean, obviously as a health minister, uh, he was embroiled in some controversy as justice minister. Uh, I mean, he's had his problems, uh, it, but he was a candidate uh, that I think entered the race in 2019 as a very popular Option is a very popular player in conservative circles. Everybody knew who Tyler shandro was, even though he hadn't sought office before, even though he wasn't a sitting MLA. You fast forward four years, and now he's got this nurse. I mean, I don't know if it's irony or not uh, to have a nurse uh, running against the former health minister. Um, but Diana Batten didn't strike me. The campaign didn't strike me so much as looking for a no vote on shandro as it was seeking a yes vote on Batten, Can you take us into the strategy in Calgary, Acadia? This one, again, 25 votes, a real nail biter.
2: Yeah, so I think that you're right. I mean, Chandra probably has as much name recognition as the premier or as any other senior conservative politician. And it was clear to us from the beginning that he really you know, was putting his all into winning this, and so was his campaign. Um, but Diana's approach and the strategy that I took was, To really highlight that, you know, nurses are people who have been serving the community in some of our toughest times during COVID. Diana was literally saving babies during COVID. Um, Like she was a neonatal uh, nurse uh, in the ICU. Um, And so, you know, talking about her and her story and the reason that she got involved because of what she was seeing in healthcare and around her. And so many people across Calgary, in Acadia and in Glenmore uh, in particular, we're worried about the healthcare system you know rocky view isn't too far from uh from these ridings um a lot of people work in healthcare uh or have you know needed to wait for an ambulance or um, have waited in the emergency room for hours on end and so for her to be able to bring her personal experience and she is and i don't know if this is something that she gets from her um from her line of work but she is a very compassionate person and that that just came through anytime she was having a conversation at the doors And part of our goal um, or or my strategy was to have Diana talk to as many voters as possible and spend as much time with them as possible, because um, I knew that when they got to meet her, when they got to learn about her as a person and the, um, you know, the real care she brought, um, they would think, think differently about how they might vote. And it might, you know, a lot of people were undecided, right? That was kind of the story of this election. There were all these like reluctant UCP voters. How might they vote? And someone who is a community person who um, who had that kind of compassion and care, I thought would help sway those reluctant UCP voters uh, in her direction.
1: Did you buy yeah. that 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 undecided thing? I mean, I I, I was running my mouth on this show um, leading up to the election in the days leading up to it. I, I, I just uh, what I was picking up from people and what folks were saying in the emails we were getting from people that were like either ardent conservatives or longtime New Democrats. There was certainly that interesting dynamic at play, you know, prompted by the Adlers and, you know, the the uh, Griffiths and the Lukasics and the, the, the former progressive conservatives coming forward saying that they were lending the NDP their vote. But still, there was this, you know, depending on the poll you were looking at, 10 to 15 percent of people that were saying they were undecided. I think a lot of folks just assumed those were people that might just not turn up. How did you see that playing out, that faction of the electorate?
2: Well, I think that we wanted a certain percentage of them because we knew that we needed some. I mean, in you know, if you look at the results in 2019, the NDP had gotten um their most votes ever in both uh, both ridings, but there was still a gap of a few thousand votes in each riding. Um, so we needed to peel off a few uh, a few thousand of those voters as well. But yes, we also needed a few of them to stay home and to feel like, okay, um, you know, I might not be comfortable voting for the NDP. But i am so uncomfortable voting for the ucp that this is one time that i can't turn out and vote um and so part of the you know part of the work we did was i think to it i mean in the case of acadia which you were act, a- asking about specifically um i noticed that like the shandro campaign was softening his image you know he was posing with a lot of dogs um he was using a lot of and he was having a lot of women come out and endorse him and so, you know, we had a, a doctor write a letter to all our undecided voters um, talking about her experience in the healthcare system as a result of Chandra's decisions as healthcare minister and how, you know, at the time Diana had been in this, you know, who. Uh, suffering from the same consequences that other doctors and nurses across the province were suffering from. And as a result that all these Albertans were suffering from, um, you know, as a consequence of the um, breakdown in our healthcare system. So, um, so that was a bit of like, a okay, like, you know, uh, don't forget, um, you know, the the things that happened uh, over the last four years as a result of the work that um, Kyle Chandro did as health minister.
1: Yeah, you, I mean, you, you kind of wonder if, if, maybe i don't know shandro had lost the election i mean i i don't believe this actually so i don't even know why i'll say it i guess because it's a talk show and we're having coffee together but you wonder if maybe he had lost the election the minute that he showed up on that doctor's driveway uh to yell at him basically during the pandemic and you know i i i think that uh that didn't necessarily prove to be true i think that that probably suggesting that would take away from your efforts and would take away from the candidate, Diana Batten, who ended up winning that riding. Um, and it was a close race, but, like, for perspective, he won it, that riding, Calgary Acadia in 2019, by 20 points. You know, 54% of the vote, 34% of the vote taken by the new Democrat candidate and the Alberta party taken about 7.5% back in 2019. So a 20-point swing uh, over four years... To knock off an incumbent who had senior cabinet roles—that's a big win. You know that really is a big win. Um, did you have people? I, I guess I'm kind of. This is a bit of a softball question. Let me acknowledge, and I'm still going to toss it to you, but it's a real softball. Did you have a lot of people referencing the driveway incident at the doors? That's a as a as as a politician. If I'm Tyler Shandrow, that's a tough one to shake. We've all had our low moments. I've had my fair share of low moments. That one's a tough one to shake.
2: Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did.
1: Yeah, there you go. She handles it with class. We're talking to Esmahan Razavi. Introduce us to to Najwan in Calgary Glenmore. For, for people that don't know, I grew up in Calgary. Acadia and Glenmore are ridings like Southeast Southwest Calgary. These are This is conservative country. It has been for a long time. Um, this has obviously got to be a big win for you guys knocking off Whitney Isik, not necessarily the highest profile UCP MLA heading into the election, but still... She had name recognition. How did you approach this riding, Calgary Glenmore?
2: Well, Glenmore, I was lucky enough to be involved in from the very beginning of Najwan's journey. Um, I managed her uh, nomination as well. And I was so excited about her running because, uh, like I said, she's been a friend for years and years and uh, a total superstar. You know, she is, or I guess now was, the director of the Business Renewable Center of Canada. She's been involved in uh, oil and gas for the last 15 years. One top 40 under 40, you know, Globe and Mail's top 50 changemakers in the country. Like her resume is just absolutely stellar. Um, And so being a part of the process from the beginning, I really got to know the writing super well. And this was a writing where, um, you know, a lot of the people were highly engaged in politics. And so we did a first pass of the writing um, with, you know, door knocking where we were just kind of trying to understand, like, where are people at? How many people are, um, you know, how many people are like NDP supporters? How many people are UCP supporters? And, and what does the middle look like? And then we kind of realized that um, we needed to do like what's called like deep canvassing or persuasive canvassing. And we actually did this in Acadia as well. And, and they did this even before I came on. And that's where you spend a lot of time at the doors and you have conversations with people and you try to meet them um Where they're at and understand where their issues are um and and make a real case and Najwan was just so good at doing this because she's she has such a deep understanding of policy and politics and some of the questions she got honestly like um she got like really intense uh energy policy questions and she um she always approached them with so much i don't know so much like empathy and so much so so much knowledge um and i think that um I think that because in both these ridings, and here I'm talking about Glenmore, you know, you had these like uh, incredible candidates. Um, It made people think, and I think this was something that people had been worried about last time, that, you know, this time around, uh, Rachel Notley had a really strong team of people or would have a really strong team of people around her. Um, And these would be people who would advocate for different things around the caucus, uh, the caucus table or, or caucus room, whatever the case may be. Um, and also that they would be a voice for their riding and for people in Calgary. And I think that, um, you know, being able to spend over a year campaigning in that riding and and um, developing trust, showing up at, you know, I, I know uh, at the end of the campaign, she was telling me some people were like, you've like been at my door like six times now, you know, um, so showcasing how how hard she was working and um, having her, you know, bit by bit, bring people on board, um, over the course of a year, I think really helped, um, helped, pu- uh, push this one over the line.
1: Are you serious that, that you had the, 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 firepower, the volunteer firepower to be hitting doors six times? My understanding, I keep in mind, I've never sought office. I've never worked on a campaign. So I only hear what other people tell me, but my understanding is you try to hit every door at least once. How are you able to oh, do yeah. six?
2: more than way more than once in both writings, I will say. Uh, and that is a testament to the team, the groundwork um, and and the ground game. And I think like, you know, a local campaign, we know that um, one of the main things you're focusing on is ground game. Um, and so uh, I will say that both these candidates, like, you know, before the election, you kind of show them your schedule and you're like, you're starting door knocking this time in the morning and you're stopping this time at night and here are your half an hour breaks in between. And they were like, all right, let's do it, mm. and uh, they they did it. So
1: yeah, I'm I'm being uh I, I've got like uh, I, I shouldn't joke about PTSD, but I have uh I, I one of my summer jobs as a university student was selling educational study guides door to door, and uh, they would insist that we would knock on our first door by seven twenty nine am 730 was too late you had to keep your focus <laughs> and, and I always kind of like cringed a little bit as I knocked on that door at 729 we'd always try to have an appointment set the evening before with the first door so at least we wouldn't we wouldn't drive somebody nuts but that that's that's a that's a tough gig I mean you see candidates that you're used to seeing in like uh, you know like their their finest polished shoes out there just wearing running shoes and hitting the pavement and it, it really is uh, a taxing effort that candidates from all parties put in and that that thousands of volunteers across the province put in. Does it mean a little bit more to win in South Calgary uh, on an NDP campaign than it might mean elsewhere? I mean, obviously, and this is I'm putting you in a tough position with the question, but it's got to mean more to win in Calgary Glenmore than it does to win in Edmonton Strathcona where Rachel Notley just absolutely wipes the table. You know what I'm saying?
2: Well, I will say that, um, I, and I think even I was guilty of saying this, you know, I thought it was like basically Stephen Harper territory because that is uh, where his old federal federal uh, riding mostly overlapped. Um, and so, you know, that sort of gives you an assumption about what the what the riding might be. But I will say, like, these are areas that have voted for Mayor Gondek, for former Mayor Nenshi, And when you think about things that way, and you know that they actually did flip NDP once, Um, You know, I think at the end of the day, like people aren't, uh, especially Calgarians, like, I mean, the group that I'm most familiar with, they aren't ideological. They're looking for, you know, um, smart, practical, pragmatic solutions. Um, And so, you know, I had faith that with candidates like these, um, with a good team, um, we'd be able to make that case.
1: We've got an interesting comment here on uh, on our live chat. I appreciate everybody that joins us every morning on YouTube. Dennis, uh, it sounds like Dennis might have been volunteering on Karen Shaw's campaign. She was the NDP candidate in Morinville, St. Albert. Dennis says uh, most doors in Morinville, St. Albert, uh, Karen Shaw and volunteers hit them three or four times every door across the riding. Says that team was door knocking for 18 months. I mean, you know, we talk about these campaigns. Obviously, they're about a month long, but for, for a lot of people, a lot of candidates, this has been I mean, a lot of them have been essentially working since the 2019 election results came in, and at least for the past couple of years, people wondered how Calgary would go. And uh, obviously, you know, a lot of pundits, including on this show, were saying, you know, the election's going to be won in Calgary. The NDP takes 14 of 26 ridings. If you go by the math, the NDP won Calgary. Uh, the NDP swept Edmonton and obviously the United Conservatives um, form government, you know, a seat count 49 to the NDP's 38, which leaves obviously work uh, for the NDP to do and, and, and a strategy to figure out when it comes to the rural areas. How do you process as a strategist, as, as a top shelf experienced communicator, that rural urban divide? What lessons do the New Democrats need? And I should note that you're not on staff uh, with the NDP, you're talking to us independently right now. What does the NDP need to take away from this lesson, wise?
2: Well, I think it uh, this uh, you know election in particular was challenging because uh, Danielle Smith, during her leadership, had put such an emphasis on um, creating those relationships in rural Alberta and had stoked um, you know I think certain like fearful elements um, as she was doing that. And I remember there was one point in the election, I think it was like just at the tail end of her leadership or just after she was elected leader, where she said something like, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens in Calgary. Um, what ma- what matters is like what happens in uh, rural ridings. That, that was kind of how she was going to approach uh, her premiership. And I think she ended up walking that back because she realized she needed to win at least some Calgary ridings. Um, I think the NDP had a lot of really strong candidates in um, rural Alberta. I mean, um, there was, uh, you know, uh, municipal, municipal leaders, um, people who were, who were so involved in their community for so long. Um, And I think, look, like, you know, when I started politics, uh, my career in politics, people told me there's something like a called like a two election cycle, where you, you know, you do your best in the first line, and you make up as much ground as you can. And then, you know, you have... Hopefully the same candidate stay if they did a good job and work again um, and work even harder and build on those relationships that you had already started to to build on. Because politics at the end is about people. And if you are investing the time and really working hard to to build trust, then I think that you can do it. So I don't think that by any means, um, you know, like the rural Alberta is a write off for the NDP. And I don't like thinking about, you know, Uh, Albertans along those lines. At the same time, I do think that there are different interests um, in urban areas versus rural areas. And we can't be, um, you know, we can't be uh, or I can't be naive to that, I should say.
1: Yeah. Um, Hey, Esma, I appreciate you talking to us. If people are just joining us on the live streaming audio app on Mixler presented by California Closets, we're talking to Esma and Razavi out of Calgary. Uh, She was the campaign manager on two successful NDP campaigns, Calgary Acadia, uh, calgary glenmore you step out of the mix now back to your day job so to speak at champion communications can i can i pick your brain in just a second can we, can we talk some politics can we talk about where you see both parties going from here uh we're going to be talking to Alberta's premier uh, premier elect daniel smith will join me in studio tomorrow uh, right here on real talk people can catch that live at nine o'clock mountain or later on demand obviously do you have a few minutes to stick around with us Of course. Okay, perfect. Back with Esma and Razavi in just a second. If you have a question, if you're one of our live tuning audience members, of course, you can punch that into the chat on YouTube and we'll get to those. We wanted to mention as well, a conversation that I had uh, just a short time ago, a couple of days ago with Professor Lisa Young, Dr. Lisa Young out of the University of Calgary. You'll find that episode uh, in our archive on the podcast on YouTube Is What's Good for Politicians Good for You? We talk about populism and some of the work that uh, Dr. Young has been doing, writing for Alberta Views magazine. You can find that episode. It's uh, the first episode of this week uh, and one well worth checking out. Charles Adler on that one as well. He's, of course, sorting through. Uh, his take on the election results. You remember, he went to the wall for Rachel Notley and the NDP. We're proud to partner with our friends at Alberta Views Magazine. It's the magazine for engaged citizens. And if you're looking for a fresh perspective on Alberta, 10 times a year, delivered to your door, you want to get immersed in Alberta politics, social issues, environment, and culture. You want to enjoy their award winning writers, their photographers as well. You can find them online at albertaviews.ca. When you hit that, that subscribe link you're gonna find if you use the promo code AVRJ. Think of Alberta Views, Ryan Jasmerson. A V-R-J. That promo code knocks 50% off a one-year subscription to Alberta Views. It's 10 issues delivered to your door for 20 bucks. It doesn't get any better than that. A V-R-J, the promo code at AlbertaViews.ca we're always excited when we get to tell you about Real Talk sponsors that are hiring, and that includes Apex Automation right now. Uh, they're looking to bolster their team right here in Alberta, across Canada, and for their brand new field office in Houston, Texas. So if you're a professional engineer, electrical, instrumentation, computer science, process, mechanical, it's worth a visit to apexautomation.ca today to find out how they do things Differently, They're also looking for electricians. They're looking for instrument technicians. If you want to be on the cutting edge of where automation's going in North America, including autonomous vehicles and machinery, robotics, all kinds of cool stuff, you can submit your CV today at apexautomation.ca. And another hiring alert, this is always good news stuff, our friends at Kuby Renewable Energy, you know, we tell you they're Alberta and Western Canada's busiest solar installer. And of course, this time of year, they've got their teams out and about Northwest Territory, Saskatchewan as well, with applications, commercial, residential, industrial, agricultural. Check out the careers link at KubyEnergy.ca. Join their team and help them grow clean energy in Canada. These are for electricians, As well as apprentices they're young they're growing at kubi energy and they're reshaping the energy portfolio in canada check out kubienergy.ca and whether you're out on the job hunt or maybe just taking a day for yourself there's nothing like a dq blizzard june's blizzard treat of the month at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton in sherwood park is the reese's caramel pretzel blizzard treat You know, summer should be one big adventure for you and your taste buds. You'll find this taste bud adventure of a lifetime at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. When you visit the Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park, you let them know Real Talk sent you. We're hanging out with campaign manager, political strategist, Esmahan Razavi, joining us out of Calgary. Uh Esmahan has mentioned, we'll be talking to Premier tomorrow. That's Thursday morning. We're expecting uh, her cabinet announcement on Friday. And uh, it goes without saying, this cabinet's going to have a, a dramatically different look uh, than what we saw before, both under her leadership and, of course, Jason Kenney's Uh, Before that, some folks are suggesting that it could have more of a a rural taste to it just based on her options, based on where a lot of their seats are. What's a storyline or two that you're keeping an eye on ahead of this announcement?
2: You know, uh, they won't have any Edmonton representation uh, and their Calgary representation is going to be uh, pretty limited. And unfortunately, I think that there were a lot of candidates who ran with extreme views uh, who now might be represented in cabinet as well. Um, so I would want to keep an eye on that. Um, at the end of the day, and I'm not just saying this because I worked on the NDP team, um, I just think that uh, if you look at the caliber of people who ran for the NDP versus who ran for the UCP, there's a pretty stark contrast. Uh, and it does it does actually really worry me about what is that going to mean for our government over the next four years? You know, Are these um, important files? And we have so many um, important issues that we need to address in this province, from you know, I, I know 200 emergency room doctors came out um, in the final weeks of the campaign talking about the crisis in ERs um, to the uh, so healthcare, to, you know, what's going on in our uh, energy industry, uh, in our with our climate, um, what's going on with, you know, uh, with our economy in general. There's just so many important things that need to be addressed. Uh, and I'm just not sure that uh, the team that we're going to see on Friday is going to be up to it. And I say that with a lot of sadness, actually.
1: Yeah. Uh- yeah. So if you're Rachel Notley, uh, you know, if if you're an experienced opposition MLA, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of, I mean, there's tons, uh, you know, Raki Bancholi. I think of Shannon Phillips. I think of, you know, David Shepard. There's there, there. I mean, we could go on and on and on. There's a lot of MLAs that have been there before. Uh, do you approach this session differently than in past based on the observation you just made? And if so, how?
2: I mean, I think that what I, what I would like to see um is for you know that continued and and they did this in the past but that continued like these are our ideas this is what we can be doing and I'd like to see a government in waiting because I think that a lot of people in um that I got to meet when I was door knocking before I was trapped in the campaign office were saying like we're lending you know we are lending you our vote and uh, you know I had a few conversations last week when I was chatting with people about the recount uh, and these are people who had never voted for us before who were saying like Asmahan you know uh, we did lend our vote to you and uh, or to the NDP. And, um, you know, that, that means something that that means something to us. And we want to see what you'll be like over the next four over the next four years. And so I firmly believe that the NDP can form government in, in four years. And I think that um, this new cap, this new caucus with, uh, you know, so many bright people across uh, across Calgary, across the province, um, can kind of show uh, show us a contrast to what what we're going to be seeing in real time.
1: I want to be clear, so let me kind of get you off the hook here and remind people that that you're 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 not speaking on behalf of the NDP. I'm asking you for your personal opinion as a professional communicator and a professional strategist. Uh, we've been asking the same question in different ways, shapes, and forms. Does the NDP need a rebrand? Does it need a refresh? I mean, could 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 you make more inroads in rural Alberta if the party had a different name? Maybe if the party had a different leader? I understand it's a sensitive or delicate question to ask. You're not speaking on behalf of anybody but yourself, but what do you think?
2: You know, I joined the party when Rachel Notley, uh, was leader and, and some, for some, um, in some ways you could say actually joined because of her, um, because I think that she presented a different kind of NDP from anything I'd seen before, a party that was pragmatic, that was centrist, that was, um, really there to, to build consensus and, and, um, you know, govern well across this province. Um, and so I think that as long as, the party is doing similar things like that and and working you know building on its election um building on this election performance which you know the ndp did do better than it ever has uh over the next while over the last while so build on that uh work hard and i think really consider the fact that um so many people did lend their vote this time um you know i like i said i think they'll form government in four years
1: we've got some interesting um uh, bold prediction by the way i don't want to just gloss that over Uh, uh, in closing yes man we've kept you longer than we asked and we appreciate your availability there's kind of a trend there's an interesting discussion happening on our live chat right now specifically about the rural ridings and uh nude here makes makes the joke that everybody does you know says in in many rural ridings the ucp could run a hay bale and the hay bale would win Uh, and then we have alberta girl that says i can't stress this enough the ndp had their chance in 2015, and they blew it in rural Alberta. Those voters not only do not trust the NDP, but they see them as a threat. Um, for, for people that may be watching this or catching this outside of the province or may, may not be nerds and geeks like us, um, we'll remind them of Bill 6, which I, I know that has been discussed ad nauseum. This was uh, sort of casually described as the farm safety bill. And I know that this was one that Rachel Notley had described later as a, as a learning opportunity. It was r- rolled out without much communication. Uh, it was spun by conservative opposition at the time as a threat on the family farm, that sort of a thing. The NDP's motivation, I think, in it all was worker protection but that was an example of something that blew up in their face and we saw bill six referenced we still see it referenced time and time again so maybe that's one example um, but how do you believe that the NDP could turn that trend around in rural Alberta and start to see wins what's maybe one thing that you would advise the party to do over the next let's say two to four years
2: um So I'm actually not too familiar with what they've been doing in rural communities over the last four years, but I would assume that they've been doing a lot of relationship building and, um, you know, a lot of kind of like targeted outreach. I think that just based on the fact that they attracted so many um, qualified candidates in rural Alberta, um, that shows that they've got relationships in there. So what I would say is. Go in there and build trust. And at the end of the day, you know, we talk about rural Albertans versus, you know, urban Albertans, but we're all Albertans. And I think there are similar things that we care about. Um, You know, some of the most heartbreaking stories I saw over the last four years were about rural communities that had no access to health care because, you know, doctors had like up and left and there were no, you know, emergency rooms were literally closed overnight or people had to go and seek, um, you know, care for uh, if they were pregnant, had to go seek care, like Four or five hours away, um, so those are things that you know that matter to you if you're in rural, rural Alberta or if you are in uh, you know Calgary or Edmonton. Uh, and so I think maybe like um, we we do have these shared interests as Albertans, um, and the more that we can build trust in those communities where you know maybe trust has been broken before, um, I think the the more we'll see um, the more we'll see a bit of a, a sea change.
1: Esman Rosavi uh, joining us out of Calgary, where she quarterbacked, managed two winning NDP campaigns, both of them nail biters in Calgary Acadia and Calgary Glenmore. Thanks for sticking around. It's like w- once we start talking politics, once we start digging in and we've got somebody who knows what she's talking about, we make the most of the interview opportunity. So we thank you for your time.
2: Thanks so much for having
1: me. Yeah, you Bye. got it. Real Talkers, let us know what you think about this. Uh, it, it's interesting to see some of our more, and, and I know that we don't know always everything about people in our live chat, but I've seen some who who typically take a more of a conservative approach, saying that they didn't mind the way that things worked out in a couple of these writings. And and I think a big part of that is people referencing accountability, and mm-hmm. feeling that for the long-term health of their own party, whether it's the NDP, the United Conservatives, or otherwise, that the the healthy nature of a party is determined by things like accountability, not just to the electorate in general, but to party members as well. Sure. You know you can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And as mentioned, uh, Alberta Premier-elect Daniel Smith will be joining us in studio tomorrow. That's at 9 o'clock Mountain Time. If you have a question for her, you can add it to the pile that we've already received. We sure appreciate that. Real talkers talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can find us. So we're going to go ahead and, and, and and call these numbers final Johnny for now. Uh, You know, I mean, we've been waiting to be able to talk about the seat count officially. And with these recounts complete in Mm -hmm. these two ridings in Acadia and Glenmore, um, we're going to go with 49 UCP seats, 38 NDP seats. Why does this matter right now? Well, at our Real Talk election night VIP viewing party. This was uh, a gathering of uh, 10 gold ticket winning Patreon supporters, as well as some of our amazing Real Talk sponsors, some elected officials, a couple of mayors in the house and others. Uh, We gave our party attendees an opportunity to prognosticate, to predict the outcome of the election. And up for grabs, a bottle of the now sold out, limited edition Real Talk Cast 2.0 Maple Bourbon. All right. And a shout out to Jason Leslie from the Alberta Chambers of Commerce and Jarrett Campbell, who you have seen sitting right here on our Real Talk group chat roundtable before. Jarrett's worked on a number of political campaigns as well, both of them on the nose, predicting 49-38. So the tiebreaker, I'm going to toss these two here into an official Real Talk snapback cap. You can get yours uh, on the merch link at ryanjesperson.com. Top quality caps, John, top quality caps. (laughs) I'm going to throw these two entries here into the Real Talk snapback cap, and I was wondering if maybe, perhaps, you might be able to draw our winning entry (laughs) so here you go this is going to be the individual that is going to walk away with a real talk bourbon bottle
3: it's jason leslie
1: congratulations to jason leslie from the alberta chambers of commerce we'll make sure that he gets his bottle of real talk bourbon every wednesday it's our pleasure to head out to the mountains so to speak and remind ourselves of the treasures, the adventures that await us in Jasper National Park. It's my Jasper memories presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. You know, Jasper National Park is home to some of the world's most impressive glacier terrain. And the Columbia Ice Field is a literal sea of ice covering over 300 square kilometers. Try to wrap your mind around that. It's perched. Uh, it's perched on the spine of the continent, the continental divide. So meltwater from this ice field travels to three different oceans from the hydrological apex of the country. It is truly a powerful place. Uh, The Athabasca Glacier is an easily accessible tongue of ice that flows from this massive ice field, and it provides a really unique opportunity to explore an actively changing glacier. Like, it's different tomorrow than it was yesterday, than it was the day before. Now, you can only, for very good reason, only travel on this glacier with a guide Uh, And if you're going to go with a guide, Rockaboo Mountain Adventures is one of the absolute best. They've got this tread lightly glacier tour that focuses on small groups and glacier science, sustainability, efficient travel, and even the opportunity to descend into the ice using ropes if conditions allow. It's kind of a day-by-day decision. One of the coolest things about this is that there's no experience required ages 12 and up, are welcome to join. It's about a half-day excursion. Uh, Now, you may be wondering, what about fitness level and things like that? They hike between 2 to 8 kilometers, uh, depending on conditions, and of course depending on the makeup of the group. So, the hiking is never really strenuous, uh, but it does gain about 150 meters in elevation from a starting elevation of 1,900 meters. You can learn more about Rockaboo Mountain Adventures, getting up on the Athabasca Glacier, by checking out Rockaboo.ca, we'll have the link in the show notes here. And of course, if you have photos or video you're posting, make sure you use the hashtag #MyJasper, the hashtag #RealTalkRJ as well. And we'd love to feature some of your Jasper memories right here on My Jasper Memories, presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. We had uh, signed off of yesterday's show for about 30 minutes on Tuesday. Uh, when news breaks that the PGA Tour is joining forces with Live Golf, this is, as you know, the Saudi-owned, Saudi-backed tour. Live is the tour that pulled Phil Mickelson, one of the top-time greats. I mean, top ten easily, Phil Mickelson, with a an offer of reportedly two hundred million dollars. You know, they they went out then and. And they got other golfers like Bryson DeChambeau and and uh, Brooks Koepka and, and and Cam Smith. Like all the big, not all, but a lot of the big names in pro golf went after the money. And we debated on this show. I remember talking to uh, Toronto sports writer Bruce Arthur about it. How do you say no to that money? If, if, if you're uh, Dustin Johnson, how do you say no to to $150 million guaranteed. And it was a debate that, that we pursued, and a lot of you chimed in on it. Some of you said, thinking back to 9-11, thinking back to the way that things went down, there's no way I would do business with the Saudis for any amount of money. And others said I would jump right away. I mean, you, you look at some of the dollar amounts that were reportedly left on the table. Yeah, the big names. Tiger, Tiger Woods? $800 million. Tiger Woods reportedly offered eight hundred million dollars by I, the Saudis, and he said no.
3: I even heard close to the end they pushed a billion to try and get him, and he still said no. But yeah, the Rom three hundred million, Willie Z one hundred thirty million, Sam Burns one hundred million, and now you're just going to be forced to work
1: with them anyways. This is absolutely <laughs> nuts, and so you've got literally. These tours coming together, mm-hmm. and, and this is, and we're going to get into this. Like, we're going to talk about what, what the pros are saying, and, and we're going to get into what the golf commentators are saying here because this actually isn't just one of those, ooh, that's got a sting type scenarios. People are outraged. Mm-hmm. If you're Tiger Woods and, and Rory McElroy, uh, two of the world's best, uh, two of the all time greats that went to the wall, that had strong words for their colleagues, their fellow golfers that went to live, how are you feeling? When you learned by a tweet yesterday, Mm -hmm. you know, it was disclosed yesterday that Tiger Woods, probably the second greatest golfer of all time behind Jack Nicholas, but maybe the best, um, learned along with everybody else that this was happening. Uh, Let's rewind one year, okay? So here's the PGA Tour boss. This is Jay Monahan, who might not be in that position for long. I mean, this is supposed to be the, the professional golf, so the PGA. Is supposed to. This is supposed to be the players' league, right? And yesterday, a, a players' meeting uh, apparently uh, described as heated, which is probably the understatement of the year. As the players had their chance to communicate with PGA's top boss, uh, Jay Monahan, who made this decision without their input, uh, who made this decision as far as the story goes, just over the past couple of weeks, without involving any of the golfers that were going to wind up looking pretty stupid a lot of the golfers that were going to wind up realizing that they had left like 150 million dollars on the table but here's jay monahan a year ago okay this is right before the canadian open this is right when the big names were leaving for live this is right when mickelson left this is right when dustin johnson left and here's what jay monahan had to say one year ago
3: players I've talked at a player meeting, and I've and I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time, and I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9/11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones, and so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left, or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour?
1: So that's like a year ago. Well, now,
3: I, I just, this is why yesterday was so unbelievable, because I remember this, this quote by him. I remember playing the video, and I, I don't know what happened in the meantime other than the obvious one, which is
1: money. 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 It's all about dollars, the money. So they're asking PGA Tour players like, "How will Jay Monahan, PJ Boss, survive this?" And and some of the players are saying, "Well, he won't. He can't." Mm, people lie all the time, though. But
3: <laughs> but it's a horrible look after such a heartfelt quote like that, and was blasted. It went viral. It went everywhere, and people were giving him props, and people were saying, "Good for him." And. Standing up and blah 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 and you know referencing nine eleven, and then like you said, just a tweet.
1: How about Canadian golfers? Not
3: even a news conference to say this is why we did it. We were maybe we were in a backed in a corner. Maybe this happened. Yeah. Maybe I'm retiring soon, and maybe someone else is taking nothing. Just a tweet.
1: Um, the, uh, tweet from Canadian golfer Mackenzie Hughes was one that really jumped out at me, uh, where he uh, tweets yesterday, nothing like finding out through Twitter, uh, that we're merging with a tour that said we'd never do that with, uh, how about that? So this is confirmation for this is a Canadian, by the way, playing on the PJ tour, doing a great job, Mackenzie Hughes. Uh, return our emails, Mackenzie. Uh, he said, yeah, nothing like finding out from a tweet. Can you imagine that? Apparently, the the uh, creators of Top Spin, you know this documentary? Mm-hmm. Season one, uh, people have been I- enjoying that. Uh they had their cameras, they say, they tweeted yesterday, they had their cameras rolling on Rory, on Rory McIlroy, when he found out about this. So I think the next season of Top Spin is going to be an amazing one to watch. Um, why don't we get to what some of the commentators are saying? Like yesterday, obviously, they, they were talking about this on Around the Horn on ESPN. Let, yeah, let's look at these here, Johnny. Well, this you were one just here, talking
3: like, about Rory, but here's, here's Joel Bell.
1: Yeah, here's some more. Uh, yeah, There's so much to unpack, he says, but the thing I keep going back to is this, Rory McIlroy took a stand for what he believed was right. Which brought an invisible pain and a weight that can't be measured, and was sold out by the very thing he was trying to defend.
3: Mm-hmm. Turned down five hundred million.
1: Jesus. Kind of reminds me of like Ted Lasso when his wife ends up dating their marriage counselor. Yeah.
3: So do you think anyone will actually say that's it for me? Maybe a few guys. I mean, I mean, I think Tiger's done anyways. Close. Close like, can't, to being done the, the, the Do you thing, think any guys Will actually stand up And say no I'm not playing golf anymore For PGA because of this. I doubt it No I either. doubt <laughs> it I mean the
1: whole thing About the PGA Is it's history And it's tradition mm-hmm. And and, and yeah. the chase For the championships Right and, the, and And those that are Trying to win those majors I mean you know, you look at, at uh, recent wins, and, and obviously, like Brooks Kepka when he joined mm-hmm. that five-major club just a short time ago, people were talking about how almost all had been— I mean, he was getting praise from, from both sides, from the Live players mm-hmm. as well as the PJ players that came together, because there's that historic—there's almost that reverence around the majors. I can't see players walking away from this. But just on a personal level, like, imagine how pissed you would be if you left, like, and I know a lot of people in our live chat right now are saying, "I can't wrap my mind around the dollar amounts we're talking about." I can't either. But like, I can't, can't imagine what it would be like to be I offered $150 a hundred and fifty million here. to go join another tour. But imagine you're a player that didn't do it on principle, yeah. and and one year later, you should have taken the money. Yeah,
3: imagine the things you could do. You could cure. You could end oh world God. poverty with with the amounts, all those dollar amounts, and it's.
1: I just, mean, you could fill a whole swimming pool with Ferrero Rocher's, Johnny. <laughs> Jesus. You could fill a whole (laughs) swimming pool with Ferrero Rochers. On Around the Horn on ESPN yesterday, Mina Kimes was talking about this. I mean, everybody was talking about this. Uh, We thought we'd maybe, I don't know, run through the course here and see what some of the top comments were. Here's Mina Kimes.
0: I mean, watching Jay Monaghan, the commissioner, try to justify this, I think I'm struck by two things. He managed to both sell out morally – and also sell out his own constituency at the same time, which is truly remarkable for a commissioner. Uh, I mean, put yourself in the shoes, as Tim said, of a PGA golfer who turned down live money. Over the last year plus, you have believed you were taking a principled stand. You have watched your peers accept, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars to link arms with a regime with a terrible human rights record. You may have spoken out against that record, and you have been told yours is a player-run organization. Today, you wake up and you realize that was all a lie. And if I were them... I would be seriously questioning leadership, not just for this decision, but the way in which it was rolled out.
1: Yeah, no kidding. To say the least, like imagine the bitterness, right? And there's there's golfers like that notoriously kind of chirp each other. Mm -hmm. Phil Mickelson's not afraid to chirp. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine some of the conversations on the tee boxes? from a guy that walked away with 200 million from a tour and is now in no different of a position mm-hmm. than a guy that said no to 800
3: million. I think that's the worst part of all of this is that you've put all these players into a position where
1: <laughs> yeah. Us against them except it's all supposed to be now us again. Yeah. And you you
3: know, the big players didn't take the money. Those those kind of washed up guys took the money, right? And they're just laughing all the way to the bank now. Some right? of them,
1: Cameron Smith, yeah, but I mean, uh, up you, and coming. He's, I mean, he's arrived, few, but, but some I'm of them, saying, did. Like, Dustin Johnson, did. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's one of the one of the world's greats, one of the world's tops, mm-hmm. but. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think Tiger and Rory McIlroy ha- have been made to look very stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken says the PGA was in trouble. You know, sponsors were walking. Their charitable organization status was about to be challenged in court. And Monahan, Jay Monahan, was in a box. He says money talks. Jay should have never played the 911 card. Maybe not. But at the time, they were trying to save the PGA Tour. They were bleeding superstars. Yeah. And I think he was trying to come up with that kind of compelling narrative. Uh, Steve Schmidt is the host of The Warning, and he was breathing pure fire yesterday on his show. Here's what he had to say about the merger. The PGA Tour is fundamentally in business with the Trump family. Quite a thing for a sport that builds its reputation around values, ethics, And integrity. Think about it. The PGA Tour is now the Trump Golf Tour. It is the Saudi Golf Tour. What a disgrace. The PGA Tour is as corrupt as the Americans who register and lobby for Saudi Arabia, representing their interests and the despotism of the Saudi regime over American values and basic human dignities. And rights. Right. I mean, that's a tough one to deny. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Perfectly said.
3: And I mean, (laughs) I mean, we can't go through every decision we make. And, and we talked about this before. Every time you buy something, you know, every part inside your phone, every piece you know, if you go back and look through your home, I'm sure there's things we don't want to be supporting that. We're indirectly supporting, but this is like direct support. And, Like you said, total avoidance by putting it in a tweet. Total avoidance. A a merger like this, something this huge, always a press conference. You let people ask questions. Why? When? How? What were the other options? Total
1: avoidance. I would love to see availability with Monaghan, the tour boss that made the call on the merger. Put Rory up there with him. Mm -hmm. Put him up there on stage together. If Rory would even go there. I mean, if I'm him, I mean, I don't even when I say pissed, like I can't even imagine. And for these guys, like money always matters. Money might not matter as much if you're Tiger Woods with a net worth in the billions. Yeah. His net worth is over a billion dollars. Maybe he doesn't care as much. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but maybe he doesn't care as much about 800 million. Yeah. For them, I think it's more their pride. I mean, this just this isn't just money, though.
3: This is obscene amounts of money this is life-changing generational your kids kids aren't gonna have to do kids kids fuck kids, all kids. their yeah. whole life
1: yeah unless you gamble it all away. like some people <laughs> this is a great comment as well uh you know in our live chat says i was upset at first and then i realized that the saudis have investments in all matter of of businesses including in the states you know amazon starbucks uh and nobody's stopping buying their lattes i mean hey before we get too high on our horse here let's keep in mind that canada literally sells armored vehicles to the Saudis mm-hmm. right so here we are all high and mighty a Once year again. ago talking about how you know Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau and others you know should have kept their you know their wits about them should have kept their integrity in place should have kept their spot on the PGA Tour and said mm-hmm. no to live but here you know it seems like we kind of pick and choose yeah uh, what we'll criticize and what we won't why do Canadians allow why do canadians tolerate the federal government and it has done so under conservative and liberal prime ministers why are we selling the saudis armored vehicles if we truly do believe and it's not up for debate by the way that they do have a horrific human rights record that the regime is deplorable yeah. right we pick and choose our ethical sort of flags yeah. that we plant
3: it's just it's such a bad look though the pga tour used to be a non-profit now it is owned by the Saudis?
1: We're going to figure out more and more like- about what this looks like, how it changes the identity of it. But you're right. I don't know. To me, you'll still have the people. You'll still have the, the, the rabid golf fans. I'm a huge golf fan. I'm not going to tell you because I wouldn't mean it for one second. I'm not going to tell you that I won't watch the Waste Management Open Uh, down in Arizona, that I'm not going to watch the Masters again, that I'm not going to watch the – P. of course I'm going to. I'm going to watch all of those. I'm going to golf this week. This doesn't do anything to my relationship with the sport of golf. But I cannot think of another example where a sport or a governing body or an association, organization, or league Mm. has done something – I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think back. Maybe the it's not the same thing. It's apples and oranges, but maybe Alan Eagleson uh, had his uh, head of the uh, NHLPA mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, ripping off NHLers and and their money and costing them millions of dollars. And Bobby Orr getting screwed along with everybody else. I think maybe that's mm-hmm. kind, of, but that wasn't the NHL. That was the PA under a guy that you know obviously was convicted on criminal charges. But I can't think of a time that a reputable league in relatively good standing that was taking the high road on an issue. Yeah absolutely embarrassed and outraged its stars. And that's
3: what I mean. It's not like they were broke. It's not like they needed, but money talks. And you know what, Ryan? My relationship also will not change with golf because I never watched it you before. you do not have a golf Unless religion. I needed to take a nap and then I throw it on for 10 minutes, I'm asleep.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about Jim Nance's voice, right? <laughs> As we approach 16. No, oh, I do a bad Jim Nance. Hey, speaking of golf... Um, And we can tell you that uh, none of this is funded by the Saudis whatsoever. (laughs) If you want to feel good about a day on the golf course, the Real Talk Golf Classic, our second annual, is coming up on Thursday, June 22nd at the Ranch Golf and Country Club, also not owned by the Saudis. Fully
3: funded by Canadian-owned businesses.
1: Yes, presented by our friends at CWB Wealth. Uh, They're going to reach out politely and say, would you mind not sort of like chatting about the Saudis (laughs) and us and the same?" hey, it's real talk. We don't follow a script. We've still got spots for a few golfers available. Uh, This is, again, a 2 p.m. shotgun start with a fantastic patio lunch before and a steak dinner after. Uh, A chance to win a Jeep and tens of thousands of dollars in leather furniture and Oilers tickets and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. We've got food trucks out there. We've got cocktails being poured. You're going to have a chance to visit the real talk t-box with johnny infamous spin and tunes it was an absolute rager last year it was a not ranger. that i'm
3: complaining but a little less people under the tent yeah i know it was raining well but... it's not gonna <laughs> rain
1: this year knock <laughs> on wood it's not gonna rain thursday june 22nd two o'clock start you can register at RyanJesperson.com. just click on the events link all of the proceeds every single dollar once costs are covered funds the real talk julie roar scholarship which provides five thousand dollars annually uh, to a post-secondary student somewhere in canada that has lost a parent to cancer and you can find more details on the scholarship as well you just check out the events link ryan the real talk golf classic goes thursday june 22nd presented proudly by cwb wealth You know who's going to be there is our friends at Friesen Brothers. I'm super excited about this. They're bringing out their grill. Friesen Brothers is big on supporting Alberta causes. Uh, For more than 65 years, they've been Alberta-owned and Alberta-grown, and they're celebrating Pork Month through the month of June, and that means, of course, ribs and bacon and that four different types of flavors of their famous Ivan's sausage. Uh, It's a perfect time, just right at the kickoff of barbecue season to go check out what the amazing butchers have waiting for you at Friesen Brothers. You can find them online at Friesen.com. Are you one of those Canadians that's looking to maybe better your chances in a competitive job market right now? Maybe learn a little bit more about a subject that's fascinating you, but you don't have time to commit to that rigid and regular university schedule? Take a second today to visit athabascau.ca. It's Canada's open university. The best part about studying at AU, they've got world-class accredited online programs and courses, whether it's undergrad, graduate, even a PhD. You're ready to rock when you graduate from AU, but you can study on the schedule that suits your lifestyle. Your only commute is to your device, and there's nothing else like it in Canada. That's why tens of thousands of students Are pursuing their post-secondary studies at Athabasca University. You can find them online today at athabaskau.ca. At Local Environmental Services, they're operating in Alberta and Saskatchewan, across the prairies, providing better service and better prices for small businesses, big businesses, for municipalities uh, that are looking for residential recycling, garbage collection, water hauling, roll-off bins for those big renovation projects. Whatever it is, you can keep it local by visiting localenvironmental.ca. Don't forget, Local Environmental, presenting Trash Talk every Friday. If you want to vent about something, including that Saudi live merger with the PGA, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And a quick note as well, for those of you that right now are looking, what a beautiful day today in our neck of the woods. You're looking out to your backyard and you're going, This space has so much potential, but you don't have the time or the expertise to get it there. It's not practical that you're going to tear up all of that burnt out sod that you're going to dig out those beds and build the retaining wall, let alone put in that new outdoor kitchen or that water feature. Do yourself a favor and check out Eden Landscaping's work online at landscapeedmonton.ca. You can check out their portfolio, what they've done from the ultra-modern designs to the natural beauty installations. For more than 20 years, they've been earning the referrals and return business of their clients. You can find out why so many people are working with Eden Landscaping by checking out the links at landscapeedmonton.ca. So tomorrow's going to be a big show. Um, Irshad Manji, the celebrated author, will join us. She's in Edmonton to deliver a keynote uh, coming up later this week, and she's going to be talking to us about going from polarization to collaboration. So that's great subject matter. It's timely subject matter from somebody that I guarantee is going to inspire you. She'll be here right out of the gates live tomorrow. That's Thursday at 8.30 Mountain Time. And then at 9 o'clock, your chance to put a question in front of Alberta Premier Danielle Smith. We'll get the interview going right at 9 o'clock Mountain Time. We've got her for just under half an hour live in the Real Talk studio. This a day ahead of her expected cabinet announcement. So that's where we'll go. We've got questions locked and loaded. You can be in touch with yours. You know where to find us. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer, Josh Dunford. Technical Producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepherd. Website Design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.